In today's episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast, we're talking to Archdeaconry Pastoral Minister Paul Budgeon. Hello and welcome to the 31st episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast. And as usual, I couldn't be happier to be joined by my co-host, the one and only Nico Aspinall. Hello, everybody. And delighted, delighted as always to be uh, virtually sat next to you, Darren, uh, the one and only Darren Philp. Thank you, Nico. Great to see you. How, um, you're still in France, aren't you? I am. Yeah. I am. It's been incredibly hot. I can um, imagine. Yeah. And I, I hear you've lost a lot of weight. <laughs> well, I haven't actually got scales here, so I don't know. But um, the the belt line is uh, got a bit more give. So uh, yeah, <laughs> excellent, excellent, uh, good work, good work. And um, yeah, it's um, today we've got Paul Budgeon. Um, I'm not even going to try to repeat the title that you mentioned uh, before, Nico, because we had to do about five takes of it. Yes, <laughs> but, but, we'll, but we'll ask uh, Paul to ex- exactly explain what that means in a minute. But for those of you who don't know, Paul, he's a true pensions industry legend. Um, I first met Paul when he was at Nest. Um, do you remember that, Paul? And you were trying to pinch all of the business from the market. Um, yeah, but... I, I, I do remember it. You were yapping at my heels, I think, was oh, the way was. I, 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 I remember it. I still am, Paul. <laughs> I still am. Um, you know, those were the days, yeah. Um, and that's when we first got to know each other, and we've been good mates um, ever since. And um, you, we were colleagues at Smart Pension. Um, mm-hmm. Remember those days very fondly, and you've just joined the merry band of entrepreneurs, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll hear a bit more about that later. Yeah. But a, a very warm welcome to the the VFM podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for thank you for having me. I think actually I think I knew I met Nico before I mm. met you. I think it was. It was that HSBC, H- weren't you? Yeah, it was the, the, the days when HSBC wrote some business, but uh, yeah, <laughs> <that> was, uh... <laughs> well, they're unlikely to return, I guess, if they come out of the master trust market. But uh, yeah, <laughs> so did you leave? You went from HSBC to Nest, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, I mean, it was, um, I remember joining Nest, and there were less than 2,000 members. Uh, in the scheme, and and it was, you know, I, I do remember distinctly. People were, were questioning the validity of whether or not Nest was going to going to be viable, whether it, mm. you know, state can't run big big tech schemes, all all of that kind of stuff. And then it, it, inside the tent, you had some people who were very passionate about Nest and said, "Oh, we're going to have three million members, and it's going to be amazing." And I'm looking at them, going, "Crikey, I, I just..." I don't. I don't see it. I don't see us getting three three million members. Uh, I. I think we just need to do the number one job, which is be available uh, for mm-hmm. employers and support the AE program, and that's great in itself. But crikey, I don't. I don't think we're going to do this. And then, when I left five years later, we had uh, seven million members, and and I think mm. they're, they're now at, at eleven million members, and I think so. It's a very interesting story about the whole pensions commission 
um, through to the creation of legislation, NEST, uh, its unintended consequences and what the mixed economy can can actually do to solve a problem. So mm-hmm. one, I think there's a there's a business school chapter in some sort of book talking about the, the, the impact of the mixed economy. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, we'll pick up on a bit of your bio stuff um, in a moment. Um, but you're very, very experienced in the pension space, um, which is which is good. Um, so very well qualified to, to be on this podcast. Um, yes. but, 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 before we, but before we get into all of that, um, we start with the news. Um, so what have you got for us, Paul? Well, I, I was um, really intrigued with the way the nation has reacted and played out the... Uh, the, the, um, the, the, the Arsenal's win against Crystal Palace on Monday. Is that what you're about to say? Yes, yes, yes. It was an absolute delight as a Crystal Palace fan to, uh, <laughs> to, to be reminded of, of that, Darren. Uh, thank you. You you, uh, you you didn't beat us in open play. You had to get the penalty. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll leave that there. Um, but... Um, no, I, to be serious, I was I was really impressed to uh, see the the women's football team in the World Cup final in Australia, yeah. and I, I was it was just a, a really interesting experience because I, I I went to my local pub, so you could which is a Weatherspoon, so uh, they they play they can only play the BBC or ITV, and and mm-hmm. the game was on. The pub was packed with a very different dynamic. There were groups of groups of young women round, round round tables watching it. There were dads with kids. There were there were mums with kids. There were families. The, the whole thing was very different. Um, I quite enjoyed it because it didn't have the usual idiots that sometimes you do get watching pub games, mm. also mm. watching football games in pubs. I thought I thought it was a huge advert advert for not only women's football but also elite sport and teamwork and and uh, tactics and and you know okay i would have loved it had we won um we we didn't but uh you know what what a game of football what what an experience and i think i think what really struck me was a few weeks ago i i'd, I'd gone to the theater to see dear england which is the gareth southgate um <laughs> Um, uh, play and it goes from 1996 when he missed the penalty mm. and there was a full-blown riot in Trafalgar Square mm. up to Harry Kane missing a penalty and everybody rallying around him and supporting him and it's not about football it, it was more about the change in British society from 96 to today and and I thought I think the cherry on the cake was just how we all came out and supported the women's football team and, and how great they were. And there were some there were some huge lessons learned there for, for football in, and, and life in general about dedication and working hard and focus and all that fun stuff. So so yeah, that that, that was my news item. Mm. Yeah, I I certainly enjoyed uh, watching the World Cup and um, the final was a really good game. I think yeah. um, I would certainly say the better team won. You know, I thought yeah. Spain were were excellent. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, one of the things I like and, 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 you know, like joking aside around sort of Arsenal, Crystal Palace and all of that, you know, they're, they're trying to change men's football, you know, cut out the diving, cut out the time wasting, cut out the back chat and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's got to be a good thing. You know, these people are role models and stuff. Um, but actually just look at how women's football is run. 
Um, look yeah. at how rugby is, rugby is run. There's a lot more respect for referees. Mm. Um, you know, there's less play acting. There's some yeah. creeping in, you know, and there's some back check creeping in and stuff. But, but you know, it's it's a much better starting point than than what we got with the men's game, and that mm. can yeah. that can only be a good thing. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, so I I, I grew up playing rugby. Um, and that sense that, like in cricket as well, that the the umpire, the referee, is the rule book. Mm, there's yeah. no there's no debate. If the referee blows the whistle, the game has stopped. If the yeah. referee says you're offside, you're offside. It doesn't matter if you think they're wrong. You know they are right because they are the rule book. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do worry about VAR undermining that. Um, you know, there, there's obviously moments where they were making clear and obvious errors. Mm. And like in cricket, where they have what's called the DRS, isn't it? The decision review system. Yeah. Something which enables people to challenge that, you know, within certain, you know, that makes sense to me. But that sense that there is like a literal truth of whether, you know, this millimetre of your foot is offside or not. Mm. Uh, I, I just think it's a bad interpretation of sportsmanship. Um, and yeah, again, okay, coming right. back to the women's game, you know, it seems like they're, they're, much more in it for the team and much more in it yeah. for, you know, the, the actual kind of pursuit of, of something as opposed to kind of haggling with the referee over the rule book. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I totally I, I totally agree. I, I think if there's a big lesson learned from cricket is that you only get three appeals hmm. and maybe that's what football should have, three appeals in, in, in VAR. Um, and, yeah, I mean, don't get me started on VAR. I can see the good side and, and, and the bad side of it. But fundamentally, do we think that some of these players are playing with integrity? Mm. <clears throat> or is it, or is it win, at, win at any cost, even if that means I'm cheating, but I take one for the team? Mm. Um, I, I think, I, you know, I, I'd like to see a kind of a corporate yellow card sent um, mm. to the team saying, right, you know, you, you're, not, you're not having five yellow cards of everybody just doing the dark arts the team's got 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 a yellow card I, I don't know what you do with the red one but but certainly I, I did see that the goal, the goal, the goal, the goal to the opposition yeah I mean it, I mean slightly different subject but I do remember Ian Wright talking about racism uh, in certain uh, countries so not, not so much in the premiership but certain certain countries and he said why are we still talking about this? Just mm. walk off the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. If you hear racist chanting, walk off the pitch. Mm. And the crowd will then throw out the idiots that are making all the, um, all, all the racist chanting. And I, 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 really, I really struggled up that that's a hard decision to make. Mm. Mm. Um, cool. Shall I talk about my new story? Go for it, Nicko. Yeah, so I um, so what I do every week is I look at uh, uh, the world's favourite search engine, Google, and I put in DC pensions and I press the news button and I look for things that have been published in the, the last week. Um, it, that in itself is an interesting exercise just because the, the amount of kind of retreaded uh, articles and uh, things that Google gives prominence to from months ago, if not last year, uh, is, is quite quite insightful. But yeah, so I picked up uh, from, again, another magazine that I don't read, but uh, Asian Investor, um, come across for the first time uh, in, in looking for this. But um, so the, the, the story headline is, will Asia gain from UK pensions uh, $64 billion private equity investment plans? Um, and uh, so obviously this is referring to uh, the Mansion House Compact, 
uh, looking at 5% allocations from, from these top schemes, top providers um, that they've made to, or will be making by 2030, a long way off, uh, but will be making to private markets uh, illiquid assets uh, through their through their defaults. Um, and, uh, you know, various sort of political intent behind that, uh, one of which is to um, hopefully have more investment in kind of the UK economy and growth, as we heard last week from Charlotte. Um, but uh, yeah, here is a magazine dedicated to to essentially promoting private equity investment in Asia, or certainly in this article. Uh, and the conclusion is, yeah, you know, we're going to be getting some of this money. So um, yeah, I don't know that that's exactly what was intended by the Mansion House Compact. Um, I was going to say, I wonder what the Chancellor and the Prime Minister think about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, so ultimately, I guess the pushback and what enabled the schemes to actually sign up was was saying to the to the you know the Minister that. Um, the, the fiduciary duties, in a, you know, really forced them to diversify and they couldn't be just located in the UK. Um, and so rather than making a kind of UK or a private markets UK commitment, and we understand for the last, gosh, five, six, seven years, maybe they'd have heard venture capital in that mm. as well. Um, you know, that that fiduciary duty meant, yeah, okay, we can accept that you know, liquid assets have been underinvested in, so let's make a commitment to make more illiquid in investments. Um, but the consequence of that sort of fiduciary duty piece is, you know, pro rata, the UK's quite a small piece of the pie. Yep. Um, so, yeah, who knows what, <laughs> whether they really understood this and whether a, a Labour government or the, the next Conservative government will kind of want to roll back on exactly the framing of this compact as a result. No, indeed, indeed. And Paul, Paul, you've been out of the industry for a year or so. Just come back yep. from your sabbatical, and we'll we'll talk yes. about, about that in a moment. And that, but, but what do you make of all this from a you know a, a pensions professional perspective? I, I, yeah, I was. I, I'd spent I'd deliberately spent a year not really engaging with it, and mm. and and taking that that opportunity to unplug and decompress and get into a different different headspace. So. I've I left well I returned back from Cambridge June June time and I, I started picking up again on, on some of the stuff in the pensions industry and I, I'd love to say well, wow we've made so much great progress and things <laughs> are changing and, and you know I just think crikey dashboards and um, uh, the mansion house thing it, it's there's a lot of noise I mean the, the amount of of consultations there are there's a lot of noise but i don't see anything with any any particular teeth that's going to make a real difference to real people in their in their pension savings um i mean pensions is relatively easy you know join the scheme pay as much as you can into it keep an eye on charges and, and get a good good return and i just think we're really not focusing on, on some of the bigger issues such as how much people are paying in and, and the scope of ae and the, and, and the memberships and, and we just seem to be, there seems to be a lot of what I would call white noise about mm. things. I mean, a, a pledge is a pledge. I mean, I, I, I pledge to go down the gym three times a week, and I, I don't do that. <laughs> so, you know, give, give it some teeth, and 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 let's let's. Maybe I'm being a little bit unfair because you, you need to start somewhere. But I, I do remember stakeholder stakeholder pensions versus. A mandated automatic enrolment and one worked really well yeah. and the other one didn't so a, a bit more teeth please 
Mm. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, in the industry, and we do it on a podcast, don't we, Nico? But, we, but, you know, we're very good at talking about stuff and chatting about stuff and debating stuff. And and sometimes you just need to get on and do it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, 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 and this wasn't planned in any sense. Um, but the article I picked out for my news item was some research um, by TPT Retirement Solutions. Um, Philip Smith's there. Hi, Philip. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that talk, so that, that was just sort of, um, you know, some summer type research which gets put out at this this time of year picked up in in, in a number of um, the pensions press and I'm, I'm just looking at the employee benefits article on this at the moment mm-hmm. but you know like almost half of defined contribution savers do not understand one of the key benefits that the scheme brings according to to research from the from tpt retirement solutions um, polling around 1,500 savers you know then people aren't aware they receive tax relief on their contributions um and a significant number of people don't understand you know workplace contribution levels and how they work um one in five are unaware that they can change their contribution levels and the most worrying stat for me was that you know almost two-thirds who are eligible for higher employer contributions once they opt in are only receiving the minimum amount um and you know around nine percent of people are unaware that their employer is actually contributing to the pension yeah. Um, so you know, there's there's definitely a sort of a knowledge and engagement gap there, and I know um, ABI, PLSA, and others did some work on what was it, the pensions attention campaign and stuff um, last year, and um, we're all waiting, eagerly anticipating the grand unveil <laughs> of which um, pop star or star or rapper or celebrity <laughs> will be fronting up um, this campaign. But there are just some simple messages that we just need to get out, aren't there? Hmm. Um, yeah, because so I did this trawl and I was looking at uh, other things I might talk about. Um, and we should give a shout out to Brian Guilty, um, who in Pensions Experts uh, highlighted the pensions awareness campaign back for the 10th year. So that's the Pension Geeks uh, campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I yeah. remember, yeah, because Jonathan Bland um, hosts that. Mm, I yeah. remember um, sponsoring when I was at TPT. Mm. Um, Mike Jones, um, who is our head TPT, of marketing. TPP. TPP, yeah. Um, Mike Jones, <laughs> who is head of marketing, saying, I've got this chap called Jonathan. He's got some great ideas, yeah. Um, you know, can we find a bit of money um, to do a bit of a launch event mm-hmm. uh, for Pensions Awareness Day? Uh, I think it was back then. And, yeah, I managed to sort of five, uh, find a few hundred quid down the back of the sofa, went to a Jamie's <laughs> wine bar, invited a load of journos. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's, that's where it all started. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it, it's an amazing that they've, um, they've been going for, um, you know, 10 years. So good luck to them. Yeah. The Darren Philp PR playbook. It hasn't changed. It's very successful. You do need the little black book. Yeah. Underwritten by Jamie's wine bar. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 There's, there's a theme well, here. We're almost sponsored by Jamie's, aren't we? So um, there we, we are. Yeah, yeah. We get a, we get a discount when we take we our guests for lunch, discount. don't we? Yeah, that was yeah. negotiated after going there on numerous occasions. <laughs> it's it's been a while. Unfortunately, Paul, we can't take you there today because uh, I'm I'm on the other side of the channel. But um, oh, yeah, one, one of these days we will treat you at some stage. Oh, lovely. Um, so uh, yeah, so I, I guess I mean it's really interesting to hear you say, Paul, that that. You know, you've sort of had this hiatus of a year. Is it a bit like being, I don't know, you sort of, 
a time traveller in pensions and you come back and go, nothing has changed, you know. <laughs> if, if anything, we've gone, yeah, we've gone slightly backwards yeah. <laughs> rather than forwards. Yeah, it, it was, I mean, it, it was a little bit like that. I, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm probably looking through a lens of having spent a year out and, and de- decompressing and things like that. But I, I, I had generally thought we would really would have made it a bit more progress certainly on you know what does automatic enrollment 2.0 look like and mm. how do we take it to the next level that does mm. seem to me to be a bit of resting on laurels oh aren't we clever now, now mm. let's go back to talking about what we really want to talk about rather than trying to increase the scope and the depth of, of the ae population yeah yeah, and I think a lot of what has happened in the last year is obviously the value for money consultation. Yeah. So maybe we can come back to value for money. Obviously, that's our kind of uh, final final stage. But yeah, um, we'll get your thoughts on that. Um, so, Paul, how did you get into pensions? And what is <laughs> um, an archdeaconry pastoral rule minister? Have I got that right? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a tongue, tongue twister for you to start off with. But um, all joking aside, I, I would classify myself as a, an apprentice boy. So I I joined LNG in the uh, Defined Benefit Administration team when I was 18 years old. Uh, and I've got a feeling at that time, Major in Bolding was my boss. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I think so, yeah. Um, was that I, Kingswood? I, Were you down in Kingswood? Uh, I was down in Kingswood. I ended mm-hmm. up playing football for the energy temple party for t- over 20 years and those lovely grounds. But um, no, I did, I, I started uh, de- defined benefit administration, moved into the legal team as a technical advisor uh, in the marketing team under Mr. Tony Philbin, if you remember him, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. from Master Trust Fate. And, and then um, I, I always say this when I'm talking to people about when I do mentoring or careers, I. I, I realized that my A game was was not administration, was not marketing, was not product development. My A game was actually talking to people and finding out solutions to problems. And I think one of the glorious things about the painters industry is that you, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a place for everybody somewhere. It's a two and a half trillion, three trillion pound industry. And, and no matter what skill set you've got, there's a place for you. And mine just happened to be in uh, sales and marketing and in pensions. And I, I jumped I jumped into that stream, as it were, sales and, mm. and sales management. And I, I would say my career kind of took off then. I found my A game. I found the thing I was good at. And um, through, through a number of different different companies, uh, finally ended up at Smart, Director of Business Development, and we did, did some interesting things over there, but most interesting, I suppose, was buying about eight other master trusts as we were going through the uh, pre-authorization and post-authorization process. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's a, a quick canter through my, my career. Fantastic, yeah. So, what what attracted you to pensions? Just, I mean, or, or maybe what attracted you to DC? Was that a conscious decision, or just sort of where the sales were? Oh, that's a really good question, actually. Uh, I I do remember um, being in the defined benefit department, looking down with great intellectual disdain at people who did DC. How hard is it? <laughs> you know, yeah, you collect money, you put it in a pot, and and you pay it out at the end of it. So. Um, 
I, I do d d distinctly remember that, but I also remember the um, the kind of thought process I, I was, sorry, I grew up watching DB schemes close, mm -hmm. uh, going go to buy out, die, what, 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 you know, pick, pick, pick your uh, analogy as to, as to what, what happened there. And I thought, crikey, where, where is the pensions market going to be in three, four, five years time? What what products do they need? What skills do they need? How are you going to bring this to life? And and so I did absolutely make a conscious decision to go into DC, and and it was it was a big part of my going to Nest because mm. I, I was thinking about if I was a small employer employing three or four people and I had to do this because the law of the land had changed. Um, who am I going to use? Who am I going to trust? Who am I going to put my, my members into? And I thought, well, you know, there were you know, people's was great and, and, and you know, that was, wasn't bad at all. But I, 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 I thought, well, Nest is going to be, Nest is at the heart of this and it's going to, going to potentially change. But I, I took some, I took some risk because mm. we were still thinking about there's going to be consultancy charging. We weren't sure about dual charging prices mm. and prices and all this type of stuff. And I, I distinctly remember being in a in a pub, uh, being laughed at by uh, people of very large insurance companies, saying, we're, we're, "Nest is taking a big bet on the payroll industry. It's payroll, it's data, it's process. You need to do that." I I was at the front of that queue, and um, being laughed at by by the industry. But I I knew from a, an employer perspective and from a member perspective, this had to work. It had to be dead easy. It had to be super convenient, and it had to have value for money at its heart. Hmm. So, pushing that all together, I was I was quite happy uh, to go into DC, leave my DB colleagues behind. I was quite happy to go to Nest, despite being having my leg pulled by by, by, by lots of people. <laughs> um, and you know, I, I can look the kids in the eye and say there were seven million people in this country that are. Slightly better off in retirement over a, a small part I played in in the, the success story in Nest. So I, I, that that's how I think. And so, um, uh, and I remember John Greenwood. Um, I think he wrote a headline or an article when you left Nest, which was "Budgie flees <laughs> the Nest" or something like that. <laughs> I, 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 I had to get that in. Um, and obviously, you, you joined um, Smart. So, yeah. so, so, so you know. So, what was the basis behind that? Uh, I, well, a couple of reasons. Firstly. I, th I thought my job was finished at Nest. I, I'd, I'd done what I set out to do. Um, I didn't want to outstay my welcome. And, and I certainly was still very, very welcome. And I catch up with lots of people, folk over there, with uh, Tim Jones, Helen Dean, or Zoe and, and Mark. You know, I've got some mm. good friends over there. Mm. But I, I, uh, uh, when you're in sales and marketing, you, you really want to be playing in in, in 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 where there's a competition where where you keep yourself sharp um and that i thought was you know for, for a true out and out salesperson I, I thought smart was a much better fit for my skill set um than, than and giving me the stretch and challenge than necessarily nest was so it was with a heavy heart probably mm. too early but i, I did leave uh nest and, and then and then I think I was employee number 47 at, at Smart. Wow. Um, and, and we had, I think, if I looked at my leaving card, Jamie wrote 
less than 50 million under management. And when he left, we had over two and a half billion. Mm. And I thought that was a, that was a, a, a nice, a nice thing to say and put in a car. Mm. Awesome. Uh, indeed. And um, yeah, then you decided to take your year out. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you still haven't told us what, oh, I need to scroll Archdeacon Arch pastoral minister. Crikey. Yeah. Uh, so I've been a pastoral minister in the Church of England now for the best part of 10 years. Um, a pastoral minister does all the, uh, the pastoral minister is somebody who does a lot of active listening to people, does um, um, a bit of prayer, a bit of spirituality, uh, and doesn't, doesn't do the more formalized parts of organized religion. So doesn't do the Eucharist, doesn't do mm-hmm um absolution all, all that kind of stuff and it, it, it was interesting my i talk about having a calling and and the calling i had was to prison ministry mm. uh mm. i was talking about it it went off for me like a tuning fork i went into my local prison which is high down um and and with and some of the best moments i would say in my ministerial life has has been listening to and doing Bible classes with 12 blokes who were in prison for all the right reasons, uh, but who, who genuinely want to, want to change their lives. Um, and that, that was, that was where I was. That that's, I mean, an, an archdeaconry is just that, that means I've got about 30 pastoral ministers reporting into me across, uh, Rygate, Sutton and, and Tandridge. Uh, but my, my, my ministry was all about uh, young men, about prison, and subsequently, when I was at Cambridge, I did a dissertation on the role of sports chaplaincy in the English Premier League, and that's that's something that I'm really keen to develop. Uh, I'm, I've, I've met the Bishop of Croydon, a lovely lady called Dr. Rosemary Mallet. I'm seeing her again next month. I've got some ideas about how we how we meet young men, uh, whether at Crystal Palace Football Club or if they're in the cages in South London and everything in between, young men and, and young women, uh, and how we can we can walk with them through through the journey of life and, and, and hopefully help and support them. Mm. That's amazing. And um, like my, my quip there is that, you know, um, it's a winging and a prayer uh, before Christmas, uh, with, with, with anything so um good luck to you on that one yeah um, <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna say actually so so, so you, you you've had a similar sort of brainwave to me uh which is that i was desperately trying to think about ways to do the pensions of the arsenal football club right. um, but but you've got a much better route into crystal yeah, palace <laughs> well it, it, it's interesting actually i'm all, all joking aside and 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 and, and it's all sort of jolly jokes but um uh, the, well, I spoke to a former professional rugby player called Tavita whilst I was at Ridley Hall in Cambridge. Mm. And he, for those of you not into rugby, um, he's uh, one of the first Tongan international players who played 500 times professionally uh, in rugby league and rugby union in, in England. Mm. Uh, he's about 48, 49 years old. And, and he said about sports chaplaincy, he said the chaplain needs to be a chaplain it doesn't he really doesn't his experience was sometimes the chaplains were fans who happened to have a dog collar yeah and he said i don't need that i i was you know 
tens of thousands of miles away from home, incredibly lonely, lost. I couldn't find my place. I couldn't find the church I was comfortable in. I needed the chaplain to be my chaplain. I didn't need mm. him to be um, a fan, you know, l- listening to, to, to my every word. And, and I thought that's really, that's really interesting. And so when, when, when we look to hire our managing chaplain for this team we want to create, mm. um, role modeling, you know, a person of deep faith, um, but certainly not somebody who's necessarily a sports fan. Mm. And there's a difference between being a sports fan and a football fan in yeah. that uh, yeah, everything's Arsenal or everything's Crystal Palace. I, I would always consider mm. myself as a sportsman first and I just happen to support Palace. Where, whereas mm. I think some people, you, you know, they, they're a little bit blinded and tunneled vision about, you know, Chelsea can do no wrong or whoever it yeah, is. Yeah. And, and I definitely don't want that person. Yeah. I definitely want somebody who appreciates sports. But more importantly, I want that person who can do the active listening, who can walk alongside and can help people make good decisions um, and, and feel at, at peace with them. So, yeah, yeah that, that's, that, that's, that's, that's the plan. And, and and how did you um like you, you you've mentioned Cambridge a few times yeah um yeah you know like what 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 inspired you to to go off and take a year sabbatical and um you know what did you study at Cambridge I studied theology mm. uh, <clears throat> I did I did I joined the class of uh, of people training to be vicars so so that they trained for two or three years I joined them I joined the first year's group. Uh, average age is 33, 34 with a family, so it's not undergrads. I, I was in, I was in halls of residence Monday to Friday. Really enjoyed that. Um, but it was uh, you, you were studying in the morning, uh, and and then in the afternoon it, it's hit the books, go to the library, mm. re- really do a deep dive. Um, I, I I I cannot be a bigger advocate for what I call the midlife gap year i've done a reflection I'll, I'll post it post it on linkedin soon but it, it's it, I, it was the since i was 18 i've never really had a, a decent amount of time off uh, mm. but i did have the opportunity to unplug the decompress and just to put this in perspective it i turned up at cambridge at the 8th of september the last work phone call i got mm. was in december now, you know, in September, it was perfect, almost daily, then weekly, then monthly. But the last one I got was in, was in December. Hmm. And, and that, that's just, I think, an example, a demonstration of, of if you're going to do a sabbatical, you, you really do need to have an extended amount of time off to get that decompress stuff. And, and, and big decisions become become a lot easier. Um, yeah. and. Yeah, so, yeah I've I, I never been to university. My kids, I'm, I turned 15. My kids had gone to university or, or had uh, gone off to work. So I had no, you know, I, I didn't have to pay for school fees or anything like that anymore. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, if I, if I don't do this now, when am I not, when am I going to do it? So I thought, well, cracking, here we go. It's a great opportunity. And um, smart, but brilliant about it. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and uh, yeah, the rest, the rest is history. And then Darren also mentioned, so you've joined the the merry band of entrepreneurs, but I'm not, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what, what what that meant. So is that that's alongside uh, the archdeaconry pastoral minister? Yeah, I mean, I mean, 
it, it is. Yeah, I, I, it's, you know, uh, I think for, for listeners, it's a light portfolio career. You know, I do I do the pastoral bit one day a week. Um, I've I've always wanted to uh, create a business. I've always wanted mm. to do something in the pensions world. Um, when we were at Smart, you know, Darren and I were at an award ceremony when we won three <laughs> three awards in one night for uh, Smart Retire. And, and an adaptation of that is a retirement as a service for uh, the retail market. So I've got a co-founder, I've got a merry bunch of people and some investors, and we're, we're looking at how do we how do we create uh, a retirement as a service uh, proposition where the members at the heart of it the centerpiece will be the four pots uh, yeah. model yep. you know I mean it, it, it's out there you know it, it, you know you can argue it's three pots five pots or, or whatever but very much I'm a big I'm going to contradict Adrian here I'm a big believer in the retirement smile and I think the reason why we haven't really seen a lot of it is. In my experience, when you talk to people about their retirement, they cut their cloth. Mm. So if you so, so if you give them ten grand a year, they'll have a ten grand a year lifestyle. If you give them fifteen grand a year um, pension, that uh, uh, pension income, they'll have a fifteen thousand pounds a year pension income. So I don't think we've really tested this yet. But you know, looking at, I I, I really like annuity products. I really like drawdown products. What, are, what, what we're talking about here in this business called my time and n- nobody Google it because it won't be out there yet, but um, <laughs> is, is very much about choice architecture. So mm. we will take a lot of the heavy lifting off of it for you. We will pay your immediate monthly income out of drawdown up to say the age of 80, at which point we will then buy an annuity on, on your behalf. Mm. I think that choice architecture and, and that sequencing of buying products on the numbers we've done gives you about 40% more income over the lifetime of, uh, of, of your deaccumulation journey, which is, which is what is great. But, but also I, I do, I do think it really hits to the value for money piece because, mm-hmm. you know, people are you know, sweating over, is it, who in a drawdown account, is it 3%, is it three and a half percent, you know, just be outcomes based. Just look at the outcomes. You've got an ideal outcome. You've got a minimum outcome. You've got an outcome you want to avoid. I really don't want somebody's biggest monthly paycheck to be the month before they die at ninety-two. Yeah, yeah. When they when they can't spend it, I don't want the biggest payout on modest. And this is this we're based in modest pots. So think hundred thousand pound DC pot. I don't want the biggest payout to be to their estate. Hmm. That that just that just seems crazy to me. And when you're dealing with modest pots, you you cannot realistically, I don't think you can afford financial advice to do hmm. the job properly. It's going to cost you five, six, seven thousand. So either the IFA has to take a haircut, or they say, "Sorry, can you go somewhere else and, and and do it yourself?" Both those things are not ideal. They're not sustainable. Hmm. And I really don't think you can claim to, to, to offer value for money. But what I'm offering is, is something in between, which is a guided outcome, which may or may not have access to um, the pension advice allowance, the 500 quids. But, but we're, we're, we're trying to figure that out and how that works. But I, I kind of, I like that middle way. And I think there's a lot of merit in, in that. And I think, you know, 
even if I, even if I gave you the cheapest drawdown contract ever, even and you were doing it on your own, the chances of you having a good outcome from that, I think, is is risky. I, I think there's a yeah. really good chance you're gonna you're gonna get it wrong. Um, and I, and I, I and I, I I do feel sometimes we're a little bit we're not understanding the problem. The mm. problem I'm trying to solve is regulatory risk. Yeah. I need to. I need to sign this off, get my PI cover, and that, that, that's all very well and true. That's great if you've got half a million quid. If you haven't got a hundred, hundred thousand, so be, you know people need to be educated, or people need to be, um, you know, they, they, we need a, uh, I, I don't know, whatever, whatever the other insane thing is. But you kind of think you're not answering the problem. You know, really understand the problem. How do you create sustainable income in retirement? And my, and my job, my problem solved is not how do I pay advisor fees or how do I do the advice bit. I, we, we really need to grapple with that problem. And, and I think that's the thing I've, uh, I'm trying to do. So, so, so I'm just going to interject very quickly and say, um, mm-hmm. you know, we just have to ask our question because we've asked the question <laughs> um, in every podcast, which is what does value for money mean to you? Yeah, and that's my interjection because we and I'm not even going to try and cut and paste it into the um, the recording um, from a couple of minutes ago. Um, no, but that sounds incredibly exciting, um, mm. you know. And wish you all the best of luck with that, Paul. Um, I know you were a, you. a huge advocate of the four pots model when you were at Smart, um, mm. and you know we're involved in in, in driving some of that forward. Um, mm. And you know, there's there, there's some good stuff behind it. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, trying to take it into the retail space. And, um, you know, I know someone with your values um, and all of that um, will really look to try and make a difference. So it sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. The last time I went to the uh, MPIF, so the the Money Purchase Investment Forum, was to uh, be chair for you, um, Emma Douglas. (laughs) And uh, I can't – can you remember who the third was on that stage? Um, and okay. yeah, talking yeah. about the four pots, you just launched four pots at uh, Smart, I think. Oh, um, well. So, did, yes. did, did, did I do anything stupid on that? Or? Obviously, I've you were, never you were, known you to do anything stupid. Uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously, given that Paul can't remember it, you, you were a memorable <laughs> chair, Nico. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I'm wondering if it wasn't a dream I had, but I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty Nico sure. Nico dreams about me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this um, is brilliant. Love it. Didn't I message you? Who did I message and say I had a dream about you last night? Maybe it was. It was you. <laughs> well, it wasn't me. Let's, 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 let's crowd this rumor now. Now that you've been. <laughs> So yeah, uh, value for money is that? I mean, you, you've outlined those kind of four parts model and yeah. kind of guidance well, it's, it's, in that kind of space. Is that? Do you, do yeah. you think that's the right battlegrounds? Because because oh, guess because the value for money debate, right? Is is uh, we we've the you know Darren and I have uh, what are we thirty one episodes into talking to people about value for money and mm. particularly focused yeah. around these consultations. The consultations yeah. seem to be pretending to be agnostic to back the battlegrounds, right? But then in actual fact, when you read between the lines, it is this sort of space of inertia and auto-enrolment. And, um, you know, we've had various controversies about talking about uh, retail. We've had controversies talking about yeah. decumulation. And the result kind of just othered in the value for money consultation and framing of, of how you measure it. But you're picking a slightly different battleground, I think, in mm. terms of the yeah. what we might call like the squeezed middle 
Um, yes. Yeah. You know, they've got enough money to actually do something with their retirement assets, but they don't have enough money to yes. uh, maybe have thought about it for a very long time or pay someone else to help them think about it. Um, yeah. It's only in that kind of traditional formal advised model. So, so would you kind of lobby for a different space for this debate? Do you, do you think the government's I, I, misunderstood I, it? Well, oh, oh, gosh, there's a lot there. So I, I've been, you know, I would actually lobby for something much harder and, mm -hmm. and, and much bigger. Let's have another pension commission. Let, let's let's take it out of um, the mainstream politics. Let's, let's take it out as much as you as much as you can ever do that. I mean, I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm conscious in lobby groups and things like that. But you know, and let's let's really have a look at what does value for money mean and what does a good outcome in retirement mean for people in workplace pensions. Uh, uh, and, and I think you know that that Adair, sorry, Lord, Lord Turner, doing that bit a bit a bit of work, and then bringing it back into uh, Parliament to have a debate for it to become law, I think is a, is is a really good way of maybe being effective. I'm, I'm not sure so many consultations you're going to be effective. You're just going to have lots mm. of people telling you what the problems are, not many people coming up with solutions. So I think you, I do, I do think you need that arm's length. Get out. Here's, here's a bit of money. Go, go, go and come up with a, with a with a report that tells us what to do, and then bring it back in. Mm. If if I if we were to do that, jumping forward, what would I like to see? CDC deaccumulation is a mm. bit of a bit of a no brainer. Uh, a break from a hundred percent guarantee. Dare I say that? Um, there are things you know. I. I, I I would recommend everyone look at the first actuarial video on their website talking about CDC, where the guy from the union says, you know, 97% of people are, are going to be better off. You know, I, I haven't heard that for, for pensions for, for years, and I thought that was really interesting. Mm. But also, I think, and, and this is going to be a live wire for a lot of people, but what's the role of, of the state pension scheme and, mm. and, and the triple lock? Why is people with money? million pound pension pots still get basic state pension um yeah you know do, do do we need to go down the means tested route don't don't know but let's let's put that on the table with how do we default deaccumulation with a good outcomes based and 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 let's 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 try to figure out what the solution is i just don't think you're going to be particularly effective with consultations i mean maybe somebody asked for a commission pension commissions too and they said sorry sorry we haven't got the money so so plan b was to do consultations i i, I don't know i'm not doing them you know i'm not privy to those conversations but i i just think you've got some to you've made a really good start start with automatic enrollment and stakeholder for anyone who went through the stakeholder stuff was was a horlicks mm. and, and i just think crikey we Please avoid doing the stakeholder bit again. Let, let's learn from that. And if that means we have to spend 10 million quid setting something up over here, kind of with a small queue, to, to come up with a solution, then I think that's probably 10 million quid really well spent. Mm. No, I, I, I agree with that. And I think, um, you know, there's, there is a lot of consultations um, out there at the moment. And um, I think um, I, I, I think I'm right in saying that um, you know serious consideration was given to a pension and another pensions commission um, when Guy Opperman was uh, was pensions minister, 
Um, and I think that, you know, there's so many different policy things that are just smashing together um, at the moment. Yeah. Um, whether it's small pots, whether it's dashboards, whether it's transfers, whether it's yeah. retirement, value yeah. for money, CDC, yeah. DB funding code, you know, it's all there. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of this, I think think is now being driven and i think we we chatted about this with joe cumbo when she was on the mm. podico you know a lot of it's being driven not from necessarily the lens of how do we get more people saving how do we oh. get to get better outcomes for people yeah no. um and and you know um because the whole productive finance agenda and stuff is like mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of money out there how can we get it better used now that might mm. have good positive consequences for the member let's hope it does um, but that's not the prism through, I would argue, through which the Treasury uh, and Number 10 um, and therefore the DWP are necessarily looking at things through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the risk with um, where we are with um, this smorgasbord of, um, <laughs> of, of, of consultations and approaches at the moment. <laughs> Have you had a bet to get that word into this podcast? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. Yeah. I'm not paying. Well, I, I, um. I, 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 I did. Uh, so, so somebody did ask me. Uh, we do have a side bet as to who, who's who's done the theme tune on, oh. on, on the on the piano playing. And, and just before you answer, uh, <laughs> I, I was describing this to a friend of mine that you guys had invited me on, and they said, "Oh, what's it like?" And I said, "Well, I've got a warm feeling about it, but it's because of the theme. It's the the, the piano music at the beginning." <laughs> he literally said, what, what are you talking about? I said, but well, it reminds me of an Ealing comedy in the Bells of St. Trinian. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and so, so obviously, my next obvious question is, who's Terry Thomas and who's Joyce Grant? Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, um, you've just demonstrated that you haven't listened to every one of the VFM podcast. Um, no, I, yeah. I owned up in the first episode. Yeah. Um, ah, did you? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it was done on, um, it was recorded on John Chalos's grand, grand Piano, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, Chopin's Nocturne, uh, Opus Number Nine, Number Two, um, and uh, well, the very beginning and the very end of it played incredibly badly. One of these days, I'm going to re-record because uh, we've got a bit more technology, haven't we, Darren? So we can yeah. maybe do some interspersed uh, kind of little noises to break up. Oh, the so why, why don't we do a duet? Um, well, well, yeah, um, nothing, nothing, idea. Um, uh, or a, a oh, trio. Oh, oh, I want like, Darren involved. It looks like my Wi-Fi is about to be disconnected. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm just going to have to come uh, <laughs> Oh, the fire alarm's gone off. You're at home. Yeah. So now we've also, I mean, uh, uh, dear listeners, uh, if you have any requests for music for Darren to learn, oh, no. please, no. <laughs> please send them in. Um, I think we have Eric Satie's dossier. I can't remember what it is. Number one, number two, um, uh, which is still, still. You, you've been plugging away at that, Darren. I, I've, I've been too. I've been too busy, really. Um, I've had a few <laughs> lessons, lessons cancelled, and I haven't been as on it as I as I should have been. Uh, so I'm uh, in the piano naughty corner. Uh, um, unfortunately, I can't take my piano to France, so um, I might buy a little electronic one to have out here. But, yes, uh, yeah. well, there, there are there are other people in the pensions industry that can. Tinkle on the old ivories. You know, oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. Dick Strands and the Andy Seeds of the world. So. Yeah. And um, Andy Dixon. 
and he's excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's always good at the PLSA um, in the piano bar uh, late at night, um, bashing out some tunes. Um, and then you know you've got Ian Beeston who can fill in on the drums. You know, so there's there's lots of people out there that are incredibly musical. Yes. Well, it's maths and music. It's quite quite I'm, closely associated. Aren't they? I'm just not one of them. Absolutely. Oh, I get the theory. Yeah. Okay. I get the theory. It's um, yeah, my, my my hands don't necessarily do what my my brain. Wants yeah, I I mean, like, I honestly think piano is a terrible place to start. Um, so uh, I I I I mucked around with violin for several years, and then I went to guitar. Guitar, I think, is the best instrument to give a child because yeah, like you can make any noise on it, and it sort of sounds cool, and it's in tune. Yeah. And for someone in their 40s, um, and I don't know what it's like now, but all of the music I liked as a kid was on the guitar. Um, So, uh, yeah, I just think guitar is this sort of like, it's not that intuitive in terms of music theory, but in terms of just making a noise, which is fun. Yeah. um, I worry about all these kids given like just deeply intricate orchestral uh, instruments to go and learn. And like, already, you know, is the clarinet going to be that exciting? I don't know. No, Um, I I, I agree. Just fun fun fact then, um, talking about guitarists, uh, a couple of weeks ago, my, my mum messaged me to say that uh, Johnny Depp was in the local church to her. And I was like, right. Crikey, what, what, what was that all about? And it was um, Jeff Beck's funeral. And he, got, he uh, came from a place called Wallington near Croydon. And that's where mum and dad live. And, and so, yeah, so they were all outside watching all these a a a celebs from Hollywood coming for uh, wow. Jeff Beck's funeral. Wow, there we go. Um, did did your parents know him? No, they didn't. They didn't. No. They didn't manage to get an invite. They weren't sat next to Johnny. <laughs> uh, no, they no, they, they weren't sat next to him. No. <laughs> uh, just bringing us back onto value for money. Um, oh, uh, <laughs> um, obviously, like one of our. I just want to go back to the sparring grounds that we had um, when I was at People's in Newark, Nespel. Um, and um, one yeah. of the sparring grounds was on costs and charges. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you, and, and you've already mentioned sort of combination <laughs> charges and, and all of that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to go yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we often sort of talk about is, you know, the, the role of costs and charges um, within yeah. a value for money assessment. Um, yeah. You know, you've you've been selling pensions. You've been, you know, providing solutions to people yeah. for goodness knows how many years now. You know, yeah. where do we think? Where do you think we are on that debate, and where the balance is and stuff? Well, we're we 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 are sinking to the bottom as quickly as we can do, and and I I look, I do understand it. If I'm if I'm the FD, um, or, or I'm on the board, and I'm sat around this, and I've got compare and contrast with three providers, mm. and the phrase much of a muchness does come to mind. And then you think, well, the only differentiator is one's 29 basis points, one's 27 basis points, and one's 24 basis points. And, and so you go, well, well, we'll go for the, potentially go for the, go for the 20, 24 basis points. It's, it's easy. Mm. We're, 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 we're presenting that in a way that is um, a, a, an easy decision to make. And, and I think that's a shame. And if, if, if there was a good to come out of the value for money is I'd want people to say, well, how good is the governance? If we generally believe good governance is, is the kind of cornerstone for a, a, a good pension scheme and good member outcomes, mm. how are we testing the quality of that governance? Mm. And, and once we've tested it, how do we then play that back? Because I, I would make the argument 
yes, you can go for as cheap as chips, but if if the the people running the scheme for, for whatever for, for whatever reason have a have a have a bad bad year because of whatever, whether it's service, whether it is uh, risk or, or whatever it is, that that the, the five bips you've saved will not measure at all in your final outcome. If anything, it, 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 will, it, it will work the other way around. But, you know, this it's an easy one for people to say, oh, it's it's cheaper. It's very difficult to talk about quality. And I, I, I would make the comparison, I'd make two comparisons. Firstly, how good are people in Britain about tipping waiting staff? Yeah, do, do, do we see it as a point of principle? I'm going to give you a big tip if you serve me brilliantly. It's it's the exception, not not the rule, and and and, and so so we're we're not comfortable with with service about calling out service. It's a cost. It's hmm. not a it, it's not something to be valued. And and the last is, and I put myself totally in this bracket. You know, when I'm booking holidays, I kind of think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to get the BA flight and you know, go into the lounge and spend a few hours there and then jump on the flight and take the stress out of the holiday. I've never done that. I've always gone for the uh, cheaper carriers uh, and I'm sat there in Pathos Airport with with 2,000 half-drunk Brits. (laughs) You love it, Paul. You love it. (laughs) Half 11 at night thinking, just kill me now. Kill me now. I'm never doing this again. I'm going to spend the extra money and get a better service. Do you know how many times I've done it? I've never done that. And this is the problem. You know, we, we do have an incredibly bad uh, buy side on, on pensions. We have an advisory community which has to measure, compare and contrast and play back. And mm. we have a culture that says, I don't really value service. I don't, you know, I, I understand price. So I think, I think it's really, I think it's really, I think it's difficult. It's not to say it's too, it's not in the too hard box. But I do think we we need a few people to be a bit braver and say, actually, I don't like cheap chips. Uh, I actually do want quality. But help me out. Yeah, meet me halfway. Tell me what what am I paying for? What what is mm. what what is worth the extra five bits or, or, or something like that? I tell you what's worth extra is extra legroom on an easy jet flight. Uh, <laughs> that, that's the one I will not compromise on now. <laughs> you are six foot four. Are you Dan? yeah, six foot four. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're a man. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Paul, for coming on. Uh, it's been fascinating no, to hear your views and uh, get an update from you on, on uh, your your sabbatical and work in the community and entrepreneurialism. Um, so it's thank been you. great to have you on. Thank you. So, when will thank we hear more me. about my time? Hmm. Uh, Soon. Uh, but but we, we've. Um, we're going through, we, we've got RFPs out there. We've got, um, you know, uh, investor decks out there. Um, we, we, as soon as, as soon as we're ready, we'll, we'll be letting people have a bit, bit more detail on it. But, uh, I mean, it, I mean, I've always wanted to do it. And, yeah. and I, I'm determined to, to shape it as this is a fun thing to do, um, <laughs> rather than, rather than hard and torturous, but, um, so far so good. And I'll tell you the thing that I, I found really interesting is, the, the, the few people I've spoken to, but I've spoken to you, you guys about this earlier, and I've, I've spoken to other people, but just the level of enthusiasm that people, mm. you know, say, oh, well done, good for you, go for it, you know. I mean, who knows? Who, who knows where this, where, where, where this ends? But pe- people do resonate to that 
that kind of I'm doing something new. Let, let's yeah. go out and, and, and do it. And it, it's uh, it's refreshing. And I know that probably says more about who, who else I'm talking to and what I'm talking to them about. But um, <laughs> I, I, it's um, it, it's it'll be a it'll be a nice journey that I hopefully will look back fondly and say, yeah, we made a difference. So, uh, and, we and we wish you the the, the, mm. the best of luck in achieving your goals on this. Um, sounds absolutely fantastic. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Awesome. So, yeah, Darren, what have you got coming up? Um, yeah, still doing. Um, do, well, it's, it's it's still August. It's been the busiest August that I've remembered for um, quite a while. Um, one of the things I'm working on, and I've mentioned this a few times, is the DG Publishing Private and Public Pension Summit taking place at Penny Hill Park on 21st to 23rd November. Um, I think if you're by side, so if you're a trustee or a pension scheme, um, you can you can sign up and get your accommodation. Um, and you can find out more on their website, which is www.dgpublishing.com. And a, a big shout out to them because, you know, we haven't done a, a, a podcast in person for a while, but obviously they provide the, 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 the pod bit of the pod when we yeah. do do it in person. <laughs> Um, and I think I uh, said last week, I've just uh, signed up to do a webinar on the TCFT research I did for the DCIF. Mm. Um, and that is on the 19th of September at 10 a.m. And I'll be, uh, I think, chaired or co-presenting with uh, John Holguin, uh, who is at Urberdon. Uh, <laughs> I, I think is how it's officially pronounced. Um, so he's obviously chair of the DCIF. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I'd I, I haven't yet posted anything, but um, I believe the IFAWA is just about to go live on uh, uh, providing details, so you can register for that. Um, cool. Who have we got next week, Darren? Uh, we've got Chris Parrott. Um, mm. So Chris is a professional trustee and is very well known in the pensions industry. Um, you know, it's going to be even more fun um, talking to Chris next week because he's a Tottenham fan. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll certainly make sure we have, um, you know, I've, I've, I've dusted down a few jibes on that one. Uh, oh, really looking forward to that. You have an embarrassment of riches on that one. Oh, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we do try and not talk about football. I don't know that it's uh, all of our all of our listeners like okay. it, but there okay. we go. Looking forward to speaking to Chris. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, thank you very much, Paul. Um, absolutely great episode. Great to chat, and great to have you back in the pensions industry. We missed you. Um, so until next time it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me and Paul thank you very much for having me chaps goodbye <laughs> <laughs>